Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I don't have to tell you all this, that recently we've had a pandemic that has messed with all of our lives, right? But this pandemic isn't the one that COVID-19 or monkeypox or whatever else you might be thinking is coming down the road. There's a different pandemic that has affected all of our lives. In fact, it's hit, affected everyone throughout history. Um, our friend Abraham was affected with this pandemic. If you have your, your bulletin, turn to our Genesis reading. Let's take a look briefly at Abraham, or Abram, before his name was changed. He was affected by a pandemic, a problem of scheming, of figuring out how to fix things and make things work where God had fallen short. So let's take a look. This is Genesis 15. We'll start at verse 2. God shows up to Abram, and Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram's telling God, God, you haven't come through on your promise, so I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to scheme and plan and get it done because you have fallen short. And he goes on and says, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will, will be my heir. That's the context. That's something that affects everyone. Abraham was scheming to fix things, to fix what God hadn't done for him. This shows up, what I'm trying to explain is also in our psalm reading. So look lower on that page, Psalm 33. And verses 16 and 17 is sort of the idea, this pandemic that's affected all of us. I'm going to change the verbs just a little bit so you understand. Verse 16 says, The king desires to be saved by his great army. A warrior desires to be delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Here's the pandemic. We all have a war horse, a way of scheming and planning and making up for things that God has not done for us, meeting our own needs. Another name for this, which we use all the time these days, is the pandemic of worry, of anxiety. Affect you at all? Anyone anxious on the way to church today because you couldn't figure out where to get or your salad wasn't ready, or the kids weren't cooperating. Anybody have a little anxiety getting here? All right, all of us, especially Pastor Nickel, uh, yeah, we all have some anxiety. So Jesus shows up and teaches us a few things about worry. So if you would look at your gospel reading, Jesus addresses this head on, and here's the thing about, he's going to show us a few different things about worry that affects us all, affected his disciples, affects us. And if Jesus was like a first year, you know, psychology student or counseling student, he would probably have been kicked off because he does some things that would not be accepted. The first thing he does, he sort of makes fun of us. And I say this, you know, in quotes, he sort of makes fun of us for our worry. He seems to know more than we do. And so he makes fun of the worry that's in our, in our heart and life. So let me explain and show you where this Jesus is sort of trying to change our mindset about worry. Take a look at verse 25. He says this, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's almost like Jesus is saying, Hey, when you see a really old person, ask them, Wow, how much did you worry to get so old? You know? 
Jesus literally uses a different word here that's translated hour. He uses the word cubit. Anyone ever measure things with cubits? It's like your forearm length. It's an old-fashioned measurement. The scrolls may have been measured in cubits. Jesus literally says, how many of you, by being anxious, could add a cubit to your height? Do we look at Josh Allen and say, man, that guy must worry a lot, right? No. Jesus is making fun of us with our worry. It's like it's not going to help you at all. You don't have a friend who's suffering. They pour out your heart, their heart to you, and, and you say, oh, I think you should just worry some more. You know, we don't do that. Worry does not help us. So Jesus says, you know, he makes, a, makes fun of it. He also would get fired from his job by calling us a name. Here it's translated, O ye of little faith. But it's really one word with a hyphen in the middle. He calls us little faiths. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and call them a little faith. Some of you are cooperating. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jesus sort of makes fun of where we are, not because he wants us to be stuck there, but because he wants us to move past it. He calls us a little faith. And then the last thing he does, look at the end of verse 29. It says, in English, it comes across really easily. It says, nor be worried. And I already asked you if you were worried or anxious this morning. You all mostly confessed that, yes, you had some anxiety this morning. Jesus uses a word, meteor esthe. It's literally the Greek word. It only shows up one time. Jesus kind of pulls this out of left field. It's the word where we get, in English, the word meteor. And I'm not talking about Francis and George and how their meal is meatier than, you know, last night's meal. It's a meteor. So it, it could come across as, he says, don't be worried, don't be meteored, don't be up in the air, don't go back and forth between hope and fear. But also think of it like this. I know some of you had worries getting here. Did any of you, and you can raise your hand, how many of you were worried that you'd get hit by a meteor on the way here? Two young adults were worried about it. The rest of you weren't, right? And that's Jesus' point. What if there was a meteor on its way? Could you do anything about it? No. You might pull out your, map, your app, uh, meteor tracking, and you'd start running, right? But really, you can't do anything about it if a meteor is on its way. You can't control it. You can't adjust it. And but also, is it going to happen likely? No. And that's what Jesus is saying. We don't have to worry because these things are not in our control. All right? So that's the first thing he does is make fun of us. Thank you, Jesus, for making fun of us where we tend to get stuck. And then he goes on. If you look at the verse, it says, Consider the lilies. It says they never, they don't toil, they don't spin. You might be thinking, you know what, Pastor Zek, I, you don't know me. I have to worry. I have to worry if I'm going to get my work done. Anyone feel like that? If I'm not worried, I'm not productive. Some of you feel like that. You can only get around to getting it done if you're fretting and worried and anxious. It's the life that you live. But Jesus doesn't equate work with worry. He says that we should be good at work and bad at worry. Um, just as an aside, other places, you know, through the Apostle Paul, um, this has to do with our potluck today. It says, Paul says, if anyone is not willing to work, don't let him eat. I didn't help with the potluck, and maybe you didn't either, but I'm still hoping you all let me eat, okay? <laughs> so work and worry, Jesus separates those two things, okay? 
The third thing Jesus does, it's, it's pretty obvious. Uh, he's acting like preacher, obvious, and I'll do the same thing. I'll just point out to you, worry isn't good for you, physically. You knew that, right? You didn't need me to tell you that worry is bad for you physically. And we can just take a moment. What are the effects of our body when we're caught up in worrying? Anybody want to shout something out? Okay. I can't hear all that, so I'll just pretend like you... Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll say what I think you're going to say. Normally in my church, I can hear everybody. You guys got to speak up louder. Okay, I'll give you one more shot. What, else, how, what are the effects on your body when you worry? All right, you hear all that? Headaches, reflux, sleeplessness. Not good. Heart is racing. Anything else? Chest is pounding. and Stomach problems. Skin problems. Oh, my goodness. Let's stop. All right, move on. All right, your, your eyes pop out. Your skin decays right in front of you. It's not good for you. All right, worry is not good for us. We already know that. It's not good for our bodies. And to extend that, we would also say that worry is not good for us spiritually. Think for a minute if you were to get a new job. And this job is the complete opposite of your personality. Let me just throw a shout out. My wife, Melissa, she doesn't like to be in my sermons usually, but she just got a brand new job as a fifth grade teacher. Uh, let's give her a round of applause. Now, Melissa already was a fifth grade teacher in her previous uh, existence, you know, many years ago. And she was a homeschool teacher for 13 years. So Melissa is well qualified for this job. But if Melissa had gotten a different job, say accounting, how would you like that, Melissa? Yeah, she would die, right? She would die. Now, let's just say it's not just accounting, but it's like upper level managing, you know, millions of dollars of accounts, right? I can't even describe it because it's not in my wheelhouse either. Uh, and everyone was watching everything she was doing. How do you think she'd feel? Yeah, you, you could, right? All those things. Worried, stressed, anxious, angry, all those things. Because she's doing a job that she's not qualified for. That's what worry is. Worry is taking upon yourself a job that doesn't belong to you. A job that you are not qualified for. That's what worry is. Whose job is it to keep your heart pumping? Heart doctors, okay. Uh, let me try again. Whose job is it to um, keep you alive and number your days? All right, that was the answer I was looking for. Heart doctor's a good one, though. Um, yeah, whose job is it to provide for you, as Jesus says, food and clothing? Now, you might say, I do that. I work hard. But who gives you the ability to work hard? It's Jesus. It's God. So, uh, whose job is it to provide for us? It's God's. And when we worry, we take over part of God's job description. When we do that, there's a name for it. When we take the place of God. And that's idolatry. Let me just say it right out. Worry is a sin. 
Now you're thinking, great. Not only do I worry, now I have to worry about not worrying because it's a sin. Thank you very much, Pastor Zach, right? That's what you're thinking. All right, great message. Great message, Pastor Zach. I will see you all later, right? That's what you're thinking. Well, Jesus comes today, and he has an antidote for this place that we're in, and he tells us some things to do. Often when I read the Bible, you might do this too, or when you listen to a message, you like highlight some things. I double underline some things. What am I supposed to do here? So let's look at our text and mentally, or if you have a pencil, double underline the things we're supposed to do. Look at verse 22. He says, do not be anxious. Right there, black and white, double underline. Go to verse 24. What's he say to do? Verse 24, he says, three words. Consider the ravens. Look at the birds, how God feeds them, hand to beak. Look at verse 27. What are we supposed to do? Consider the lilies. Look at the plants, the flowers. God makes them beautiful, and they don't have to go check in in the morning. Look at verse 29. It says, do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be meteored. Don't be worried. And then lastly, he says in verse 31, seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. All right? That's what you're supposed to do. Now, did you already know all that before you showed up this morning? I shouldn't worry. I shouldn't be anxious. I should think about God's care for the birds. I should think of God's care for the plants. I should seek God's kingdom and not my own. Did you know all that already? Yes or no? Okay. This next thing is coming from God, not me. Then why aren't you doing it? Ouch, that's for me too. Why aren't I doing it? We might think to ourselves on that last one especially. Jesus says, seek God's kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And you might think to yourself, do I, do I really seek God's kingdom or do I seek my own? You might think of these questions as you contemplate your life. Have I really surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I really? Have I really given my heart to the Lord? Have I really honestly, sincerely prayed to accept Jesus? You may have said yes to all those questions. And I hope you did. You may also have said... Um, not so sure where I am on this. You might have said, I used to. I used to say those things, but now I have a war horse that I'm relying on, and I don't want Jesus so much anymore. I don't know where you are. God knows our hearts. So wherever you are on this spectrum, I want to, in, to change the question for you. Instead of, am I seeking God's kingdom? Ask, is God's kingdom seeking me? Instead of just saying, has Christ surrendered his life for me, ask, or instead of just asking, have I surrendered my life for Christ, ask, has Christ surrendered his life for me? Instead of asking, have I given my heart to Jesus, ask, has Jesus given his heart for me? Instead of asking, have I really prayed to accept the Lord, ask, has the Lord really prayed to accept me? And the answer to all those questions, way different than our hearts, is yes, 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 and yes. That is good news, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's the gospel. Looking outside of ourselves, we don't have it. Looking to the promises of God, we have it. Let's turn back to our friend Abraham for a moment. Turn back in your Genesis account. We see here this Genesis account with Abram. God shows up to him. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and says to him, fear not, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, as we looked at already, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That was his scheming, his plan, his replacement of God's promises. But God said, No, 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 no. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And why is this important? Abraham had a son. So what? Because that son is Isaac, who would have Jacob, who eventually would have David, who would have Mary, who would come Jesus, our Savior. The one who would bless the world. And so, to confirm and help Abraham look outside of himself, God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. God took Abraham from looking inside his heart to looking at a symbol of his promises. All these stars are going to be uh, symbolize my children. Is that amazing or what? And that's the same message we have as we look at the stars. I looked at them this morning. All of those represent me and you, God's children, children of promise. And so Abram could have doubted, but he believed God's promise. In, In the middle of all his scheming, in the middle of all his worry, in the middle of his anxiety, he heard God's word and it says he believed him and he counted it to him as righteousness. So yes, do these things that Jesus says. Don't be anxious. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies. Don't be worried. Seek God's kingdom. Do those things. But don't do them to earn God's favor. Do them because, as Jesus says in verse 32 of Luke 12, don't be afraid, little flock. My little sheepies, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It makes the father so happy to give you the kingdom. And and as we wrap up, what is the kingdom that we're supposed to seek that the father wants to give us? The kingdom is a person. And that person is a king. And that king is King Jesus. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you King Jesus. Paul tells us this as we wrap up. He says this in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Who gave him up for our war horses. Who gave him up for our anxiety, for our worry, for our idolatry. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Father gives you the kingdom. Everything. So Jesus' things to do are not really a thing to do. He really means, don't worry. I've got this. I am your king, and the Father gives me to you. 
So that doesn't mean our situations are easy. We're still like Abram, still not seeing yet the promises. So what do we do? As Peter tells us, cast all your what? Cares or anxieties upon the Lord. Why? He cares for you. In the last words, from Philippians also, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord, the Lord Jesus, is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, like Abram, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.